My name is Ryan Carver. I am one of the pastors here. We, there, uh, Pete and Jerry also um, are, are the elders, the pastors here. And we, we work as a plurality. We, we share a lot of responsibilities. And today, I get to share the responsibility of preaching. So I'm excited for that. Hopefully, I trust it, it will serve you guys. So this morning, I want to start out with a famous quote from the movie, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Sorry, it's not the book for all of you, um, you know, uh, that only, I think, anyway, this is still good. Samwise Ganji, he's speaking to his friend Frodo Baggins while on their quest to destroy the one ring. And Sam, he's trying to encourage Frodo to keep going, even though things seem hopeless. Everything is against him. Frodo and Sam, they're hiking through the mountains, uh, Mount Doom, actually, and they need to destroy this ring to bring peace to the land. But everything seems lost. So here's what Frodo says. He says, I can't do this, Sam. And Sam says to him, I know. It's all wrong. Someone's going to start quoting this as I say it. But but (laughs) this is a very popular quote. By rights, we shouldn't even be here, but we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, the shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something. And even if you were too small to understand why, but I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. And Frodo asks, what are we holding on to, Sam? So Frodo's on the brink of despair, weary from the journey. He's ready to give up. He can't see beyond his present reality. Today, our message today is titled Following Faith, and it's focused on our endurance and staying the course, even as the journey is difficult, and it seems like everyone or everything is out to get us, out to stop us. See, faith is vital. It's like blood in our veins as, as Christ followers. It keeps us going. It keeps us alive, and this is why the author in Hebrews issues a warning just before our main text today. So we'll mainly be in Hebrews chapter 11 and the first few verses of 12, but let me read what comes right before that. Hebrews 10, 35. So don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Faith moves us forward. It moves us forward along in the journey that that God calls his people to walk. It's required for us to tread the path that's before us to keep the analogy going, the metaphor. Now, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. A lot of people think that it's a collection of of sermons preached, or it's one full sermon. And I'll just refer to the, uh, the, the person who crafted Hebrews as the author. Now he's speaking to those who are under some persecution. They've suffered, they've, they, there's been uh, verbal abuse, there's been physical abuse, they've, they've lost their possessions, some were imprisoned. Um, they had friends elsewhere even that were experiencing this too. So we can glean those things from the letter. 
And the congregation has responded, as we know in, in, in earlier texts, it says that they, they responded with joy and compassion, even amidst these sufferings, even amidst this, this, these hard, hardships. Uh, they had confident faith. And yet the author wants them to preserve that. So at times, I think we can all feel like Frodo in The Lord of the Rings. I, I can't do this, can be the mantra in our hearts. Or, or we might say, I don't want to do this. The, it, I'll suffer too much loss. It's, it's too hard. The road before, us, it before me is too hard. And I think, by the way, for, for you Hobbit fans, um, a Hobbit would say, I don't go on adventure. I just read good books. I eat good food. I, I stay in the Shire. Right? But Frodo wasn't an ordinary hobbit. So, you know, even if you're unfamiliar with the Lord of the Rings, we all know what it's like to shrink back from a challenging task and, put, and, and, and when the hardships are in front of us. We all know what it's like to lose sight of, of, of why we embarked on a, different, a difficult journey in the first place. Sometimes we find ourselves just veering off the course and we're, we're in the weeds. And maybe that's you today. But the author knows his congregation is tired, discouraged, suffering injuries. And there's, there's a danger of losing perspective, of, of forgetting who they are, of, of, of where they are and what they're called to, and that they will quit. And so, as the author uses a metaphor of a race in which faith and endurance are necessary to make it to the end, we also will learn that as we run this ultramarathon, let's say, there is help along the way. So we're going to look at three points today under the title Following Faith. Number one, finding faith. Number two, fellowship of faith. And three, finishing faith. So let me pray for us. Father, as we turn to your word, may your word speak. May your spirit speak. May you, may you strengthen us as a church. May you awaken those who do, can, where they have not seen you, God, where they have not turned to you. May you awaken their hearts to you and your purposes. May they follow you today. God, do your great work as you mold and shape and form us today. Use this time. Lead us, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, number one, finding faith. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 1 through 3. Now, faith is the reality. By the way, I'm in the CSB version. Feel free to use any version you want. This is just the one I'm going to be teaching out of. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof, proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Now, our most recent preaching series titled Gospel Clarity, it's taught us that the, the gospel demands a response. We, we traditionally define faith as belief or trust in God. Uh, it comes from the Greek word pistis, and as Jerry mentioned, uh, even last week, he's explained, it, and even other times we've explained, it, allegiance is also another good word for, for faith. It, it gets close to the meaning of faith, it's, and when, especially when it's connected to the supremacy of Jesus, the king the Messiah, the anointed one. And if the gospel is the proclamation that God reigns, then to place our faith in Jesus means to be allegiant to him as Lord and King. 
Allegiance isn't just a, a mental notion. It's, it's, a, it's a commitment to embrace the call of the king. And, and by the way, he's a good king. To embrace the call of the good king. One we trust, one, one we follow with our entire lives. And so our text today says, now, now faith is the reality of, of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Now, depending on the, the version of, of the Bible you're using and the translation there, you'll notice different words right here in place of reality. There's confidence, some use assurance, some use substance. But all these words, they're trying to, to explain the, the Greek word hypostasis. Hopefully I said that right. Which is also used earlier in chapter 1 to express how Jesus is the very being of God. Exactly in every way, Jesus is the reality of God. I'm taking some time here to explain this because I think the author is really leaning heavy on this first section of Hebrews. And he's calling it to mind even as we're reading chapter 11. And so the reality of God, I think, is a really good uh, translation of the CSB when it speaks about faith. But here's an interpretation of verse 1, just putting, putting all these concepts together now that I just, uh, just spoke about, and you'll see it on the, the screen. Faith is seeing the reality of what God has done, is doing, and will do while placing our hope in Him as we embrace God's purposes with all that we are, our entire being. It's union with God, if you just want to shorten it. And you could see how that connection to even the, the Greek words that we're working through, it, you could see that it's, it's union with God. It's, it's joining in with him, knowing him and joining in with him. Now, to be sure, I just want to start out, this, this is a process. The more we get to know God and understand him, the more we can have faith in him, the more we can embrace his purposes, the more we can have hope, the more that we understand what he has done, is doing, will do. It's a process. But upon conversion, we begin to have this faith in God. God's spirit comes and lives inside of us, and we grow in our knowledge and this understanding. And then we begin to shift our lives to line up more with God's will and purposes. We start learning what it means to become more and more like Jesus. So the author in verse 2, he, he begins to set us up to continue, to continue the faith of those who have come before us. And so we'll find faith at work in them. And it's gonna, it's, we're going to see how it affects their choices. It affects their lifestyles. It, it affects their purposes and their plans. And it should, right? Amen. So verse 2, it's, it's through this faith that our ancestors were approved. Or we'll see later, there's similar language. By this, they pleased God, the author will say. Or he rewards those who seek him. Or they became heirs of righteousness. What does it mean to be approved by God and to please him and to become heirs of righteousness? Well, God grants us faith to know and follow him. And he justifies us by forgiving our sins. And he brings us into this right relationship with him. He welcomes us in to his family. He calls us sons and daughters. And we join into, as we said before, his restoration project as he imparts his righteousness to us and he teaches us what it truly means to be a human, what it truly means to, to reflect the image of God. And we want to reflect his character, his purposes to this world. And this world is in desperate need of salvation. 
But I don't mean just to escape hell. The word salvation means so much more. It's, it's connected. When we find salvation, we're connected to the source of life, trusting God's ways. We're, we're walking with God now in the present, eternal life now. And without faith, the alternative is not seeing the reality of what God has done, is doing, and will do. And not placing our hope in him, but instead placing our hope in lesser things that go against the purposes of God. It means we're opposed to him. To not have faith means we will live as if we're dead, not connected to the source of life, not in his family. To have faith means to be as chapter 1039 says, I mean, sorry, to not have faith means to be, as 1039 says, those who draw back and are destroyed. And these are hard words, but they reveal what a life of not seeing the reality of God and embracing his purposes, how it leads to destruction now and into eternity. But God wants us to find faith. He wants us to know and follow him. Let me be clear. He wants to give us faith. But he wants us restored. He wants us brought into his family to have faith and be saved to please him. So by, verse, verse three goes on. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. See, God's been revealing his, his, himself and his purposes to mankind since the beginning. Creation was formed by the word of God, as God spoke everything into existence. And creation continues to reveal God. I love those amens. Thank you. We're in this together. Even I'm doing the monologue, but it's not a monologue. We're responding back and forth, so thank you for that. And we're together in on this, receiving God's word, considering these things. So may God continue to work on all of us in this time. God has revealed himself to many of our ancestors who came before us through the prophets, as, as Hebrews 1 says. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God reveals himself through Jesus. So you have three ways God reveals himself. Creation, faithful people, and Jesus. So we kind of see that lined up here. And as I said earlier, verse 3, it's a, it's a throwback to the first few lines of Hebrews uh, chapter 1. And those lines, in the beginning of this letter, they talk about how everything was created through Jesus, who is God. And it's similar to to, to passages such as Psalm 33 or Colossians 1.16. Let me read 1.16 real quick. For in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And that him is Jesus. The author does this, and he's reminding us that God's sovereign plan has been working out since the beginning. And he's pointing us to Jesus, which we'll get to in a bit. The original audience would have heard this message. They needed their faith to be, to, to be stoked. And the author is fanning the flames here. And so what about you? Are you weary? Are you disillusioned? Are you feeling apathetic today? Well, I'd suggest finding faith or, or helping another do so as you, as you make disciples. You, you can point to these three things, creation, uh, personal transformation, and incarnation. 
The evidence that, uh, of, of, of all God has made is in creation. Those testimonies of those God has changed, looking at transformation in their lives, and then who God is, his purposes, and his will. As we look at the incarnation, we could particularly look at Jesus and learn those things. We could consider all these things, present all these things. It's how we find faith. And God will do his work to give us that. Point two, the fellowship of faith. Now, faith is not just a bunch of head knowledge. It impacts our, our experience of life. So we're going to look at a lot of examples now of the faith, of faith in action. As we consider, really, these are testimonies. Uh, it's, it's the witness of people who have displayed faith. And as God's people, those who have faith, we share much with them. There is this sharing, or another word for sharing, a fellowship of faith that we have with them. And so to be sure, these people, they had their faults. And, and, and the scriptures show those faults. There were times when they showed unbelief in God's powers and his purposes. But we can learn from them. We can relate to them. And we can be encouraged, reminded of their choices, their lifestyles, their purposes, their plans, and their resiliency. So let me bring a quote from Sam again. Samwise Ganji out of Lord of the Rings, written by Tolkien. He gets it, man. He gets it. Folks seem to have been just landed in adventures, usually. Their paths were laid that way. But I expect they had lots of chances, like us, of turning back. Only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know, because they'd have been forgotten. So I'm going to move through some of these verses pretty quick, but I want us to, to, to at least read them together, to consider them, and I'll, I'll speak on a few points. So verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts, and even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Now, ever since Genesis 3, when the whole world got turned upside down by what Adam and Eve and their rebellion against God, God's been using a chain of people in his restoration project, and it started with Abel. He's saying each person matters. The author's saying each person matters in God's plan. They're vital. They have a role. And as the first human recorded to be murdered, Abel's blood cries from the grounds for things to be put right. And for us to actually be our brother's keeper, as we read in Genesis. And this cry for restoration, it, it, it continues today. We're all crying. We all see the need for justice, for healing. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. But before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. And now, without faith, it's impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Enoch and Noah, they were set apart from those around them. They were holy. They were, they were righteous. They didn't look like others. They followed God faithfully, even when those around them did not. And I'm sure they often felt alone on their journey of faith. They were the strange ones. They were the outliers. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive an inheritance. 
He went out even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she, con- she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance. They greeted them, and they confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on this earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they had come from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead. And therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy fleeting, the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be great, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, you can hear this could be like a sermon, right? So I'm just, I'm just preaching how the guy preached, you know? By faith, he, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees him, who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. And by faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. And when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they marched around by the Israelites for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And as we look at this long list, we see these faithful witnesses, they were wanderers looking ahead. They looked ahead to God's promises. They were sojourners. They lived in tents. They they didn't look back, but instead they looked forward to what God was calling them toward. They understood his, his plans and purposes, and they were moving forward with God. And then he speeds up. Verse 32 And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourging as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. 
And as we read this list, we can imagine, we can imagine which people he's referring to. David was saved from the den of lions, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery pit, the, the furnace. And yet there's many more in this list that suffered and died. Every story is unique. Yet every story is similar. In that, especially verse 39 says this. Focus in with me here. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. Their faith, it shines more brightly, the people that we just read about, when we realize that they carried on throughout their lives without seeing the promise come to its final conclusion. They didn't receive the promise in full because it only came true in Jesus, the Christ, and in the community that formed around him. We have a fellowship of faith, a sharing of faith with these faithful witnesses. We need them to trek the journey of faith. We needed them to watch them. They've trekked before us. And we need them and their testimonies to help as we walk now. But our ancestors, these people, also need us so the promise is fulfilled. There's a design by God. They were part of it. And, the, and, and Jesus is, is the centerpiece. He's the beginning and the end and the middle. But the church, God's people, who he's forming this new community under the new covenant, is a, is, a, is a vital part of these promises. We share much with the faithful who have come before Jesus, yet there's this fellowship of faith with those who make up the new community that Jesus formed through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and by the sending of his spirit. Jesus establishes a new community, the church. Those who would bear his image and join in with God as his kingdom comes. And this community, the, 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 the people of old, our ancestors, have looked, looked toward this. They haven't seen it in full, but they saw something of what God would do. And this community of people, that, that, as his kingdom is coming and in, 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 in he is forming a new people, it's, it's, it's not that we only see the advanced signs of, of God's restoration project, the world that is to be, the world in which justice and God's will on earth as it is in heaven becomes tangible. No, this community, this community that we are part of, we get to experience God's long-expected promises to the world coming, working now. As Jesus is, has laid down his life and been raised from the grave, ascended, now sits at the right hand of God in power. God reigns. And he's working through his church as we go forth in the world to bring glory to him as the waters cover the sea. That's his promises that, 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 that all would come to Mount Zion. And so as we look to the fellowship of faith, we see people who have gone before us and who are with us, teaching us what it means to be faithful gospel witnesses. Because that's what our calling is to be now. So our tagline for Gulf Coast, being a faithful gospel witness for this generation, 
and the next. That's our tagline. That's, that's, that's something that we're trying to walk into, trying to be. And this word for witness, it, it comes from the Greek word martis, which is, which is very close to the word martyr. To be a faithful gospel witness will take our entire lives. It'll take all of our being. And I think this is one reason it can be so hard to make disciples. We know more is caught than taught as we're trying to pass on this baton of faith. Keeping that running metaphor going there, but that's what we're called to do, right? Pass on the faith. We we can't just do information transfer. We need to embody our theology. We need to embody what we believe. And and, and what Jesus did, and, and, and and it's what he commanded. Matthew 28, 19 says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You see, Jesus, he, he lived his theology. He was the embodiment of God, and he passed it on to others. He passed on all that he knew and did. And not only that, but he told them to do the same, to teach people, to observe, to obey all of his commandments, not just to know, but to do. He trained, he modeled, he brought people into his life to learn how to live out God's ways. And disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. And as they do that, the fellowship of faith grows. And as we look at the fellowship of faith and and see ourselves as part of that fellowship, there are many we can look to. There's this long list in Hebrews 11, and there's there's many more. I encourage you, pick up a biography of uh, Amy Carmichael, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Corey Ten Boom. I mean, they're there. Their their testimonies are there. It will strengthen us. It It keeps us going. And I'll tell you another thing is, I need you. We need each other. There are many in this room that I look to. I was thinking about it as I was driving here this morning. I was like, who should I mention? And I just said, I can't mention it. There's so many of you all that encourage me as I see you, you, you standing firm in the faith, as you suffering, as you laying down your lives, as you, as you show mercy to people and you give in ways that I, I just, it, it, it compels me to give. It, it, the way you live compels me to live in the way that you live. We're not alone. We, we are not to do this alone. There's, there's no, the Lone Ranger Christian was never, was never meant to be. God's purposes for his people are communal. Uh, I've, I've always been big on teaching, uh, like to share a gospel presentation, and then like your testimony, right? Many of you have probably heard, heard that before, like get the gospel, like a, a short piece, and then be able to share your testimony. But as I was considering these things, this has kind of been happening in my life. A lot of different things have come together. I highly support even, even knowing your Bible and, and, and being able to share verses out of it to people. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm doing that right now, right? We're, I'm, I'm teaching theology. I'm, that's good. It's excellent. But something I'm trying to do more, and I just thought I would mention it this morning, is, is I'm trying to get, I'm trying to talk about what God is doing in my life and how he's transforming me to be more like Jesus, it's a witness as I enter into conversation with people, even non-believers, because it's a testimony, but it also helps bring them into the, how I'm experiencing God and what he's doing recently in my life. And so they're like, hey, how's it going? And I'll say, uh, you might think I'm crazy, but, and I'll say those things to some of my you know, non-believer friends that, 
um, I'm talking to, but I get specific. I, I start to share my struggles. I, I, I start to share my unbelief in different areas of, of, of who God is, and I share my temptations, and then I share how God's changing my heart uh, to believe and act differently. Even the other day, I was talking to a friend about different people in our city and uh, the drug problem that we have and, and how, you know, you're always getting asked for money and, you know, you, you know the, the banter that we go back and forth, and I just remember saying something like, uh, I'm learning to not look down on, on people because uh, I'm a mess and, and God is working on me. And so instead of thinking, man, I can't believe they're doing this, and you, you know, and the list is long of whatever it is. You can say, I can't believe they do this or this or this, and whoever that is, it doesn't matter who it is. We do that all the time. I can't believe they did this. It's just a line we, we often say. But I'd say I'm starting to see that each person is a, is a cherished uh, 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 child of God, and I'm starting to see that his image is in them, and it's just marred and broken, just like mine, and, and, I, and I need God's help just as much as they do. Something like that. And I could go on and on with examples, but my point is, I'm, try, I'm, I'm learning that to give people a taste of what I experience as I'm being changed by Jesus, as I look to Jesus, as the Spirit works in me, as I give people that, I just give them a taste, as much as they'll allow and as much as I could do it, I think that is a really good testimony of the power of God in our lives. And it can't be argued with. Even my kids trying to give them an inside view of my faith. I, I take time with them, even uh, at night especially, I'll have them listen to God. We're used to really talking to God or asking God for this, this, and this, but it's like, hey, let's just take some time to listen to God. And that might sound weird to you or whatnot. Maybe you don't listen to God very much. Maybe you're always talking. But that is something I would encourage you to do. And then as you do it, bring other people into that. And, and I could give other examples of what, what things, but I'll share frustrations that come up as it goes, and I'll call on God to help me, like right in front of, the, in front of them in that time. Uh, when I'm angry or I sin against them, I ask for forgiveness, and I, and I speak about God's forgiveness, and I'm just bringing them into what I experience even as I sin against someone, uh, them, and then I think about forgiveness that God shows me as I sinned against them, and just bringing them into these, these truths of God and seeing how they work out. But I see them doing something that, that Jesus would do. I call it out, and I say, man, God's working on you. Praise God. You know, and I try to look for those opportunities, and it's not easy. I mean, I actually have to be experiencing God. I actually have to be living a life of faith. And you may say, well, of course, you're a pastor. But, but there are times when you can just have the knowledge, but you're not really living it. Let's just be honest, right? We, we all struggle with that. I, and I can't contrive these things. I can't just copy and paste information I learned. I have to bring people in. I have to be experiencing God to be able to make disciples in that way. I'm part of the fellowship of faith and I must pass it on. We are part of the fellowship of faith, and we must pass it on. Number three, finishing faith. Let's look at verse, uh, chapter 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance in the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. Now the picture here is of a great, a great cloud, a fellowship of faith. 
They're watching the ultra marathon of faith, whatever metaphor you want to use. And, and they're, they're cheering us on. They're, they're, they're supporting us. They're, they're giving us help and aid along the way. But imagine a runner who is either carrying a rock on the journey or, or, or just as bad, he, he doesn't see the rock that's right in front of him as he's running. Okay? None of it's good. And to lay aside every hindrance and sin that ensnares means this faith is not easy and sin can mess us up. Just like carrying a rock is going to make it, we're just going to, you know, putter out a lot quicker. Tripping over that rock and breaking our ankle will definitely mess us up. And so sin is a word that seems to get a ton of definitions. It can be confusing sometimes. What is, what is sin? How is it, you know, a hindrance? And, and I'll, I'll give, I'll propose one is, um, sin is unbelief. Every sin, everything that we do that opposes God in his way, it stems from unbelief. Unbelief ensnares us. It trips us up. Unbelief is believing lies about God so that we don't embrace his purposes, so that we don't have hope, so that we don't know what he's doing, or we don't want to join in with what he's doing. Unbelief. When I'm tempted to lie, it's because I don't believe God's looking out for me. So I'll twist reality so my, with my words to get what I want, right? Uh, when I'm angry, I don't believe that God's in control. Instead, I'm, uh, I get angry when other people try to mess up my plans because I'm in control. Ugh, you know? Because I'm in control, right? No, no, and that's a lie, right? Who's in control? God's in control. And he, he, he knows the plans. And he's setting things up. I need to trust in him. He's not sitting back just, just chillaxing. He's, he's, he's active, and he's working, and he's good. When I'm tempted toward lust, it's because I don't believe God's ways are right, and that he satisfies me with every good thing. Fulfilling lust is going outside of God's boundaries because we don't trust him. By the way, his boundaries are great. The, the boundaries of God are freedom because when we step outside of those boundaries, when we step outside of the boundaries of the one who made us, then we, we're, we're, we're enslaved. We need those boundaries made by our creator. And then we need to have belief that he is a good God and trust him and and live our lives within those boundaries. Sin will take us out. Unbelief, believing a lie about God causes us to stumble. And the remedy for this is to keep our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He lived a life of faith. He embraced every plan and purpose of God, and he looked with hope toward all the promises that would be fulfilled. When we look to Jesus, we see God who, for who he clearly is, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We, we see his character. We see God's purposes. This remedy for unbelief is to identify the lies that we're believing and allow the truths about God to redirect us. Often we'll, we'll know um, the, the root by the fruit. If you look at, fruit, at your fruit of life and there's sin, there's, there's something that goes against the plans and purposes of God, the character of God. You trace it all the way back. What is the root of that? It's, it all leads lies about God that, and that ultimately you're, we're believing a false view of God that caused us to sin. The, the unbelief causes these things. But when I'm tempted to not trust God, unbelief, I can look to Jesus, the one who proved God's love for me, even so much that he walked to the cross and endured it. 
for me, for you. When we're tempted, when we're tempted to believe that God's not in control or he doesn't care about our pain or, or that he's sleeping in heaven or he's angry at us or the list goes on, we can look to Jesus. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Not only was he then raised and ascended and is in power at the right hand of God, but remember he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He's a God who understands what we are going through. He's a God who sits on the throne in power and is working in all these things. And He's not angry with us. He's not lazy. He's not uninvolved. He's working. He's restoring. He cares. Even in the midst of suffering and hardship, he proved that he's doing something about all this mess, about all this suffering. His promises are being fulfilled. And we look to Jesus, we can have a finishing faith. And I know I know it's hard in the trials. I know it's hard when, when, when you can't see around the next corner and everything just feels it's like it's against you and you're like, God, where are you? What are you doing in this? But when we look to Jesus, when we look to the cross, we see a God who is intricately involved and loves us so much that he would, he would take on flesh and lay down his life for us. We need to observe the, the cross, and don't forget, he's not dead. He ra- was raised from the grave. He defeated death. He's doing something about it. He's restoring things. He's restoring you. He's restoring me. I wish he was faster, but he's doing it. <laughs> Jesus fulfilled the promises of God, and he is who we must look to as we journey on. He is patient, yes. He's the pioneer of our faith in that he leads us and shows us how to follow God. And we're going to mess up along the way. But he was perfectly obedient. And not only did he show us how to live, but he also gave his life so we could be forgiven for our wayward ways. We will mess up. Our rebellion and our resistance against God. But he perfected our faith ultimately through his death, resurrection, ascension, and is with us now. God's spirit is inside of us, helping us to run the race. He's transforming us to look more and more like Jesus. I'm closing here, but I, I do want to, there's, there are times when I get stressed out. It's been recently, actually. Jerry knows, I, a lot of you guys who talk to me, I, when you say how you're doing, I, a lot of times I just tell you how I'm doing. And, I, and, I, and, and times you feel like everything's against, I felt like everything's against me, and, and, I, and, and it's these truths that I, I begin to cling to or it's not true. It's these, it's these, I start thinking about all the things that I feel like I have to hold up. And I start clinging to them, whether it's the, the possessions that I have or my family or, or my appearance. You know, you, you know, you know the story. We're, we're all in the same boat. But then when I remember who God is and what he's done and what he will do, and I, and, I, and I tell myself these, these, these truths about God, and it takes time sometimes. I remember who I am before God, and then I, I, I release these things I'm clinging to in a way that honestly is peace. Because I am not in control, and his plans and purposes have been working since the beginning. He's proved it. I can look at other people who have lived that way, and then, I, and then I see myself in this story that, he is, that he is, he's brought me into by faith. And he will work. It might not look like what, I'm, what, I, what I would ever expect or, or write for my story. 
But I am going to trust the one who created me and knows all things, that even amidst the hardships, and some of you are going through a lot more harder things than, than me, and I think of those too, but that I release them to God. And there's peace. I need to embrace the story. So as we look at the long list of people who had faith, and in particular as we looked at Jesus, we see we're not promised an easy life, but we're promised a life that matters, a life that seeing the reality of what God has done, is doing, and will do while placing our hope in him, we embrace God's purposes with all that we are. God, where are you at work, and where should I join in is a question we can ask. God, you're worthy of my life. You're trustworthy. What do you have for me today? How can I join in with you as you help heal and restore the world? Finish with a quote and then a prayer. This is from N.D. Wilson. If you haven't read Notes from a Tilt World, it will stir you up to the amazingness of God in this world. He says this Do you dislike your role in the story, your place in the shadow? What complaints do you have that the hobbits could not have heaved at Tolkien? You have been born into a narrative, you have been given freedom. Act and act well until you reach your final scene. So that's our prayer. Let's pray. Father, we pray. May your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lead us, God. Strengthen us. I believe, we believe, help our unbelief. Set our eyes on Jesus and help us to finish well. In Jesus' name, amen.